0: are as frightful as wolves, which is why the wolf in the Little Red Riding Hood story easily ingrains itself within young minds. What most adults now believe to be a childhood tale of warning may actually have a darker truth few could imagine. The Little Red Riding Hood story is fiction, right? Well, if you follow the historical origins, it turns out it may actually be true, at least partly. We spoke about how the wolf is symbolic of the predatory nature of man in the last episode, but what if the wolf is an actual man, a living, breathing member of society who preys on young girls and women? What if he is both, man and wolf, werewolf? I'm Vanessa Kay Eccles, and this is Fabled. Let's jump back into the story, shall we? I raised the axe. The earthly smell of wood and dirt filled my lungs as the blade chopped the wood in half. After gathering enough for the fire to keep us warm, at least through the night, I returned to Fay. I'm going to start a fire and some soup to warm you up. You must take better care of yourself. You probably shouldn't be living out here alone anymore, I said while brushing back her thin gray hair with my fingers. Oh, I'm alright, really. Just a little cold. Besides, I hear things aren't any safer in the village. Four children missing and one of them found gutted in a ditch? Her words sent a tingling quiver up my back. She wasn't wrong. They say she sat up and continued, that a beast has been killing people, ripping them from limb to limb. I nodded and made my way to the fireplace. It's an awful thing. Neatly putting the wood in place, I lit a spark onto the moss and gently blew the flame until it spread. I then moved into the kitchen where I chopped what little carrots, celery, and potatoes she had left. Her wheezing met my ears, and I began to worry she was much sicker than she let on. "'You haven't told me why you came here, dear,' she said, sitting straight up in bed, her brows pulled together like a drawstring. "'Something terrible has happened,' I whispered, not sure I could say it out loud. I poured the vegetables into the pot, along with some water and a few basil leaves, and pushed it over the fire. The soup will be done shortly, I told her, half attempting to change the subject. For a while, she didn't say anything, and I wondered if she were asleep. Just as well, I thought. I wasn't quite ready to talk about what brought me here. She'd find out soon enough, and for the moment, I wanted to remember how safe and comfortable it was in Faye's home. The tongue and groove walls were filled with hanging dried herbs. Sketches of people Fay and I both loved. My parents, sister, and there was even one of me. Warmth slowly filled the room along with the aroma of the vegetable soup. I closed my eyes and tried to remember a happier time. One before winter had invaded my heart. Father passed me an axe. He watched as I took my first swing, missing the mark and sending the blade crashing into the stump. I had to violently wiggle the handle to get it out. He'd laughed, and the sparkle in his eyes, that look of pride, I'd never forget it. And Fay taught me how to prepare bread, carefully folding the dough in on itself until it was nice and soft. I remembered watching as it rose in the pot over the fire until the top slowly turned brown. So many memories. Awoken from my reverie by a clap clapping on the roof, I jumped up and glanced at Fay, whose eyes were still closed, asleep. Startled and wondering if the wind had blown a limb or something onto the thatched roof, I grabbed my cloak and walked outside to investigate. The axe leaned against the door. I grabbed it, just in case. The wind began to whip around me, sending chills down my body. Bumps appeared on my skin, and I sensed that someone or something was watching me. There was a movement in the distance, but when I turned around, I didn't see anything. There's nothing but darkness in these woods tonight. I inspected the roof, satisfied that a limb hadn't crashed down on the thatched pitch. I decided to go inside. There was a chill in the air, even though the fire was still burning strong. Fay, I called out and went to her bed. My heart beat faster when there was no response. I pulled back the lace curtain. My grandmother was gone, and a wolf stood in her place. Its big, bright red eyes burned into me. Blood coursed through my veins, hot and brave. My body froze and began to contort like some dark witchcraft. A spell had seized me. My fingers elongated and my nails curled into claws. The hair on my arms thickened until flesh could no longer be seen. I bent over, my back curling me onto all fours. A deep growl escaped me, and the wolf and I stood there, eyes locked, fangs bared, and lips quivering. I pounced toward it, clenching onto the animal's throat with my teeth, a warm metallic taste filling my mouth. I ripped the skin and pulled back, tearing hide and flesh. The animal whimpered and fell onto the bed, a growing pool of blood forming around its frame. Stunned, I stepped away, taking notice of my body again. This can't be. My back straightened, the thick brown hair receded, and my hands returned to normal. The animal growled at me again. I ran to the cupboards, grabbed a knife, and then stabbed the blade into the beast. Not satisfied that it wouldn't stay dead, I sliced it open, leaving its inside splayed around the bed. Movement caught the corner of my eye and I saw it. Another wolf crept closer, head hung low, whining. A familiar necklace hung from its neck. It was Faye's. The wolf then fled into the other room. "'Grandmother?' I whispered, still trying to fit all the pieces together. The old woman re-emerged from where the wolf had gone, back in her human form. "'I suspected,' she said, taking in the scene before her. "'You too?' I asked, a wave of relief washing over me. You've been bitten. Here. I fetched a cloth, some whiskey from the cupboard, and some water to clean the wound. How long has it been happening? She said as I bandaged the bite. Long enough. That's why I'm here. I need your help. I returned to the dead wolf on the bed and cut its heart free. I wrapped it in a lace-edge handkerchief and carefully placed it on the table. You're planning to use it for the spell, aren't you? Faye asked and went to stir the soup that now bowled over the fire. When I didn't answer, she went on. You were born a beast. Like me and all the women in our family before us. It's a birthright, but a terrifying one. Your father doesn't know. His father didn't either. I've kept it locked inside of me all my life. "'She said while tugging at the necklace around her neck, "'the ruby catching the dim light "'and shining as if it were enchanted. "'I hunted, of course, but only other game. "'I never developed a taste for human blood. "'I was warned. "'She dipped us two bowls of soup. "'I pulled out the bread and wine I'd brought. "'I ate and listened to her. Fay took a bite of the bread a sip of the rich red wine, and a gulp of soup before going to her desk and rummaging in a drawer. She pulled out an old leather journal and flipped its pages. Yes, 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 she said, returning to the table and taking another bite of her meal. With a full mouth, she muttered, The only cure for a beast is the heart of another like it. We both glanced at the blood-soaked handkerchief on the other side of the table. My eyes grew dark. You're suggesting that I consume the heart. It'll help you, my dear. I should have gone to you sooner. I really thought I had a few more weeks before it began with you, and I've been so weak lately, hardly able to get out of bed. My heart shuddered at the words. My gaze fell on the still-warm heart again. I could almost feel it beating. I reached for the wine glass and poured myself another drink. Then another "'until my head felt swimmy and my eyes fell dark. "'After yet another glass, Faye's words sounded like an echo, a dream. "'Good, dear, now eat up.' "'Faye brought the heart to my lips. "'My mind went blank. "'A loud banging from the door woke me, "'but before I could get up, Jack, the man I'd met in the woods, "'had forced himself inside.' I saw blood outside on the steps, and I panicked, he said, looking me up and down. Oh, I exclaimed, bringing my hand to my head, still feeling the buzz of the wine and the fuzzy memory of what happened earlier. I rubbed my head, but my hand slid across my skin. I brought it into view, surveying my pale white hand covered in dark, red blood. Looking down, my white dress was covered, too. I glanced back at Jack, whose face had turned ghostly pale. Something terrible has happened. Jack's gaze never left me. Where's my grandmother? I asked just above a whisper. She's... He hesitated. She's outside. Outside? My mind flooded with images. Bleeding heart, fey and wolf form, claws and teeth, and the smell of death. Then I noticed a pain in my arm. Deep red claw marks ran down the inside of my arm, elbow to wrist. You've been hurt, Jack said and began ripping the edge of his shirt. He poured the remaining wine on it, causing me to wince. And he wrapped the white cloth from his blouse around my wound. We should get you home. He slung my cloak around my shoulders and lifted me from my feet. I let him carry me out of the house, down the blood-stained steps. Faye, Lay there, motionless and turning blue in the cold winter night. I couldn't turn away, even though I knew I should have. The memory of her mauled body would surely haunt me. He continued carrying me through the forest deeper and deeper still. I glanced back, catching sight of my grandmother's house once more. I knew I'd return. It'd be my home now. Jack hugged me tighter to his chest, his heart steadily pounding in my ear. I listened and counted the beats. There was something steady and soothing about the warmth and strength of an unfrightened heart. Something pleasantly naive, I thought. "'What big eyes you have,' I told him just above a whisper. His large green eyes met mine, "'giving me a comforting half-smile. "'I nuzzled into him, listening again, "'my fingers gripping into his arm, piercing through his coat. "'He shifted and put me down, my boots breaking a branch beneath. "'You are hurt,' he tried to say, "'but seeing his blood slowly seep through his coat "'must have shocked him because he froze, forgetting the words.' I stepped closer to him, lifting my hand to his chest, resting it there. He stared at me, motionless, speechless even. What a big heart you have, I said, licking my lips. Better to love me with? The question hung between us for only a second. Just long enough for the beauty to once again become the beast. all familiar with witch trials throughout history, but did you know that many were accused and executed for being real-life werewolves? One can't mention werewolf trials without talking about Peter Stump. Peter Stump was executed on Halloween in 1599 after confessing to practicing black magic since he was 12 years old. Peter, you see, had made a pact with the devil— He said that the devil had given him a belt that allowed him to transform into, quote, the likeness of a greedy, devouring wolf, strong and mighty, with eyes great and large, which in the night sparkled like fire, a mouth great and wide, with most sharp and cruel teeth, a huge body and mighty paws, end quote. In a pamphlet that documented the trial, it was said that Peter, had discarded the belt before his arrest, and no belt was ever found on his property. While being threatened and possibly succumbing to torture, Peter confessed to murdering and consuming 14 children and two pregnant women, later referring to their unborn children as quote, "dainty morsels." According to the trial and the people of the village, Peter had an insatiable appetite for murder. And he also had an insatiable appetite for women. Peter was believed to have been in an incestuous relationship with both a family member and his own daughter, who it was believed bore him a son. He also was known to have a relationship with another extraordinarily beautiful woman in the village. Shockingly, one of the fourteen children Peter killed was his own son. That he shared with his daughter. He even confessed to eating his son's brains. His mistress was thought to be a demonic force, taking the shape as a woman, like a succubus. And Peter confessed to having intercourse with a succubus that was sent to him from the devil. Both women were tried and executed alongside Peter, both his mistress and his daughter. Peter's death was notoriously brutal. He was put on a wheel and stretched until flesh tore from his body, and his limbs were broken to prevent him from returning from the grave. His body was then burned along with the women's bodies. The town, hoping to prevent any other people from forming a deal with the devil, put up a pole with the torture wheel, with the figure of a wolf carved into it, and Peter's severed head was placed at the top. Some believe that Peter was falsely accused of the crimes, citing that it could have been his Protestant faith. During the time of the trial, there was a great push for Catholicism, and the trial could have been a political and or religious statement. Or perhaps he suffered from mental illness, and maybe his confession was merely a plea for a latter sentence, or to make his suffering stop. There are many reasons for false confessions. That I've come to believe. But to confess to not only killing your own child but eating his brains makes one wonder. Why? Confessing to everything else is one thing, but to that, well, it's hard to understand. To muddy the waters even more, Peter wasn't the only man to confess to being a real-life werewolf. Between 1527 and 1725, in the Baltic, 13 men were accused of having caused harm while in werewolf form. Many of those confessed to having gotten their wolf shapes from a man in the woods, presumably a demon. One 18-year-old named Hans confessed to receiving the wolf body from a man in black. He also admitted that he'd hunted as the beast. Two things are clear in historical texts. One, people believed in werewolves. Two, some even confessed to being one. These startling truths make the simple childhood story take on a whole new life. Maybe fiction is never far from truth. And the fact that the story is still around today makes one wonder if there's still some truth left in it. Do we subconsciously believe in the lore we've been told? Have you ever caught yourself looking over your shoulder while walking alone at night in the woods? I know I have, even though I'm not sure what I'm looking for. A beast? A person? Someone or something lurking in the shadows? I'm not sure. Are you? Fable was produced by me, Vanessa K. Eccles. If you enjoy dark history and folklore and fairy tales, check out our books at fablecollective.com. And also say hello on social media at Fable Collective. I love hearing from listeners. Until next time. Yeah. Into the darkest night She walked without